Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Just, just say anything? <laughs> 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 No, no, stop giggling about yeah. that, obviously. <clears throat> On this episode of Film Chat, Sam convinces Helen, Queen of Sparta, to leave her husband Menelaus and sail him back to Troy. After Menelaus finds out that his wife was taken by the Trojans, he asks his brother Agamemnon for help. Agamemnon sees this as an opportunity for power, so they set off with a thousand ships holding 50,000 Greeks to Troy. They list the services of me, because I'm a legendary warrior who is immortal except for my soul. And, oh, wait, wait, how long? Uh, no, I've confused myself with Achilles. And our lines with the plot of the 2004 film Troy. Uh, this is just, in fact, a podcast where we talk about and review films. Disappointing. It's Good Child Acting Week on Film Chat. We head into the remote forests of Finland to find a 13-year-old local boy and Samuel L. Jackson, the U.S. president, hunting deer and fighting terrorists in Big Game. And two recent festival hits find their way into UK cinemas and receive prestigious Film Chat review treatment. The Ukrainian drama set in a deaf boarding school, The Tribe, and the French suburban coming-of-age drama Girlhood. Plus, the Cannes Film Festival has opened the traditional chorus of booze, cheers, walkouts, and standing ovations, and we discuss the unexpected anti-feminist backlash to Mad Max Fury Road. Finally, I take some time, quite a long time actually, to explain my special method for stacking DVD cases in a rambling 25-minute diversion surely destined to make the final edit of this podcast. Allons-y! Allons-y! On y va. Ah oui, c'est bon. Ouais. Mmh, ah, ah, on ah. <laughs> films, 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 lots of films, 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 films. films. Good films, bad films, fun films, sad films, films we love, weird films, Lars von Trier films, old films, new films, some John Woo films, films that star Peter Fitch. Films by David Lynch, films short, films six hours long. We've got films up to your gills with films, 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 movies. Are you feeling comfortable? Film chat has begun. We had our exciting film chat bowling trip yep. last week. Safe to say that it was a step up from the previous bowling trip, um, which only had two people come. One of them was my girlfriend, so I didn't feel like yeah. quite, you know, <laughs> the event that we were hoping for. Well, but this um, time, loads of people came. Yeah. I mean, it was also your birthday party, so that might have had something to do with it. Yeah, the pulling power of me. Just how can you miss my 25th? Well, you have a history of having people attend your birthday parties, whereas we don't <laughs> yet have a history of people attending it's true. our film chat events. But anyway, you know, by that manner, we got quite a lot of people to come. So it was it's very good. exciting. Yeah. 
It was a lot of fun. I drank too much. You, yeah, I mean, well, it was, it was your birthday. People kept on buying me beer. I kept on drinking the beer. Got very excited. Uh, I was quite rude to some people. On, just generally a bit obnoxious. I think it's like fair to say that on a lot of people's birthdays, especially when they're lo- young, like you are, Danny. Like they I get was. Li- they, <laughs> they get a little excited and they drink too much. But for most people, they don't have someone wandering around recording them <laughs> so that all the drunken shit they say is recorded uh, you know, and immortalized forever. Yeah. Um, there was a bit of extra drama to the evening because we had a bit kind of a bowl off between me and Danny. I was my team and his team and two other um teams that no one really cared about <laughs> and uh well i think we're spoiling it to say who's team one so um for those uh listeners who weren't there you're probably feeling a bit left out you're probably wishing you've been present for all the bowling excitement why don't we listen to how, how we got on sure hi this is the film chat bowling trip everyone's very excited everyone's hepped up everyone's pumped you can hear some screaming and uh yeah it's me versus Danny. I've got a great team. I'm very proud of my team's progress. We're on Forge and 49, and we are destroying. I'm here with my good friend, Chris. Hello. Chris, um, how are you feeling about tonight? Are you happy? Are you sad? Give me some response. Uh, I only found out this was a bowling party today when I looked at the invite, and uh, I saw the word bowling in it for the first time. Um, I'm, I'm now wrapping it up. Goodbye. It's my team, that's Danny that is, versus Sam's team. Uh, it's all getting very competitive, and uh, we're going to win. I've literally seen Jake Hoskins piss himself. I literally saw urine coming out of his trousers because he saw our score. Oh, shit! Oh! Oh, Emily just got a spare-ish. Uh, come back with me in five minutes. I've had, like, six pints. I don't know what's going on. Victory for my team. No thanks to me, but the rest of my team did extremely well. We made up a 20-point deficit from the previous round and then some. We got over 700. I think that means we're the bowling champions of the world or something like that, so I'm very happy right now. Thank you. Oh, uh, well, Sam is a point. He'll be leaving Film Chat immediately. I'm obviously the talent. He's like this mumbly little I mean, literally every podcast is going to cut about 20 minutes of him going, um, um. Um, it just describes the plot of the film, and then this happens. There's no review, Sam. I think I want you to talk about the bowling, not your. Oh, the biggest. bowling! I beg your pardon. Well, the bowling was very good. Uh, Sam's team cheated heavily. They just ran down and kicked the pins over, but like a bunch of. I mean, I just don't like them at all. They're quite unpleasant as people. They all voted Tory past election. Do you consider yourself a sore loser? Not at all. I consider myself a righteous winner. Despite the fact that you lost. Yes. <laughs> Safe to say you weren't that happy about. Might have had a few beers by that point. <laughs> yeah. That was that was into the sort of fuzzier portion of the evening. It's true. Listening back to that now, do you actually remember saying that stuff? Or was that um, past that cutoff point? I remember, yeah, I remember recording stuff. I remember uh, trying to be funny, but sort of just reduced to swearing. Well, I thought, you know, it amused swearing me. Swearing is funny. It, well, it hurt my feelings, obviously, but it still <laughs> amused me. Yeah, I'm really, really sorry about that. Yeah, that's okay, man. Sorry. So this um, Katie character was wandering about <laughs> with her microphone, and she took the time to ask a few of our um, guests <laughs> some film chat-related questions. What's your favourite bowling-related film? Big Lebowski, I guess. That's not going to be a controversial opinion, though. I mean, it's Big Lebowski, hands down. Uh, I would probably say out of the, the Big Lebowski and the Big Lebowski, uh, it's the Big Lebowski. 
Well, as per someone mandated to me that I needed to watch The Big Lebowski before coming bowling today, so I would have to say The Big Lebowski because I don't know any other movie that I've watched that has bowling in it as as prominently. Bowling for Columbine? Maybe not. No. What is your favorite film jam moment? Um, I think the uh, when you got that exclusive uh, Star Wars trailer. Um, the new, the new Star Wars film, and pretty much any jingle involving Luther. I think when when they cracked up over the stupidest thing, what was it? Oh yeah, the age of Christopher Lee. When they laughed for about ten minutes, because Christopher Lee happens to be slightly old. It, it was half the episode, pretty much. Do you think Film Chat needs more or less giggling? More. I take out all the giggling, so should I leave it all in? Okay, yeah, 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 edit that back in. Make, make it an hour. In fact, fuck it, go Kermit and Mayo, go two and a half hours. Mostly giggling. It's fine. Uh, who's your favourite film show host? Sam Foster or Danny Moran? Um, Danny's mum. Danny Foster. Who's your favourite film chat host? Uh, Sam. By like a country mile. So I'm in a three-way tie for top host with Danny Foster Dougal and McQueen, your mum. You turncoat whore. I, I mean, Dougal. I mean, what the hell? The things I could tell you about thing, that it's man. It's a good thing you haven't had anything to drink right now, Danny. Because God, like, I'm what sober. What on earth would you be saying about Dougal right now? He did get me some really nice socks, though, so it's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good film fan Thanks, gift. Dougal. You're not so bad, Dougal. You're not so bad, Dougal. I've completely reversed my opinion on you. You're a great guy. I love you, Dougs. So, uh, to tally up the results, Chris Young gets best improved with a uh, special mention to Marta Malagon, second place there for best improved, and uh, the biggest scorer of the night was Jake Hemingway with an impressive 151. He really came out of nowhere to be a fantastic bowler. Apparently, yeah. he hadn't bowled since he was a little boy or something, and he really not- knocked it out of the park. I feel there's a story there. Yeah, and maybe it's not like... the time to tell it. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie, write in and let us know. I know you listen to this podcast all the time. Jake, what's the deal? What's the deal? What the hell's going on? What happened to you to make you stop bowling? Yeah, what the hell happened? This is like Cuban Fury, but instead of like a fat guy who can dance, like a skinny guy who can bowl. Yeah, an even more uplifting tale. (laughs) Yeah, as always. um, (laughs) Katie's working on it. (laughs) Katie is. She's she's not just recording things, but she's prize manufacturing. (laughs) And you, uh, Chris and Jake, you'll both be receiving a badge, a special film chat badge. (laughs) <laughs> it's gonna, it's gonna have uh, um, a picture of us on it, or it'll have a film chat logo on it. It'll have a little USB attachment, and you can plug that in, and listen to some <laughs> of your favorite film chat moments. Um, have a DVD of the best bits. It will double as a flare in case you get, um, you know, lost in the desert. You can just. It's got a compass. Yeah. It's got a little thing for taking the stones out of horses' hooves on it. Oh God, yeah, it definitely has that. So yeah, look forward to receiving those any any day now. Yeah. Okay. Um, not a whole lot else. We we got some. Uh, Chris had seen Mad Max Fury Road, but we'll talk about that next week. We'll probably see that next. We'll week. talk about it next week. But another film chat listener saw a film that we didn't see. Um, far from the Madding Crowd. Did you consider watching this movie, Danny? I no. It didn't really appeal to me. Like there's well, too much sheep. Um, th- anyway, this is what Catherine says. Far from the Madding Crowd was all right. Chock a block full of drama in every scene. I never read the book. Don't know the story, so can't compare. But Matthias Schoenthingy's character was like Mr. Darcy, but if Darcy was a sexy, silent farmhand rather than an awkward, stuck-up posho. Tom Storage was terrifying, only ruined by a group of old ladies chatting away through the whole thing. I mean, the first question is, why did Thomas Vinderberg put those old women in that film? 
just yeah. chatting away in every scene. Yeah, I mean... Like this whole Greek chorus thing. Yeah, but just kind of um, <laughs> rhubarbing. Yeah, rhubarbing. The, the rhubarbing old lady Greek chorus. This is some sort of like Dogme 95 it's probably hangover some, or something. It's probably some art house technique, isn't it? I bet the critics Man. love it, those pretentious hacks. Fucks. They're pathetic, aren't they? The critics. God. Thank God we're not one of them. <laughs> we're not them professionally. We do no. this for free. That's why it's all so honest and true <laughs> and good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Superhero films announced. Casting rumours leaking out. M. Night film is hated. Paul Thomas Anderson's is fated. Meryl Streep's Oscar tipped. Matt Damon's in a viral vid. Michael Bay's made a mint. That's the news that's been to print. So, tell me some news, Sam. Tell me some news. So there's a lot of third phase Marvel news getting underway. The third phase is what's going to follow Ant-Man, I think, or maybe Ant-Man is the first movie of the third phase or whatever. I don't know. It's the next (laughs) slew, the next slew of comic booky films. And um, they are looking for directors for two of the films they announced. Black Panther, the first uh, Marvel superhero film that will star a uh, non-white person. And Captain Marvel, the first... Marvel superhero film that will star a non-man person <laughs> and one of the directors they're looking at is Ava DuVernay who directed Selma which we both liked we yeah. gave, it, gave it a thumbs up and many people did it was very good Black Panther is looking like the more likely of the two because they apparently they've been um, looking to uh, get an African-American um, director for Black sure. Panther um, because it's about someone black I mean that sounds like a really sort of automatic studio thing but at the same time it's probably you know like it's a good thing yeah like I mean I wish they would cast black directors like just in general more obviously <laughs> it would be nice if they didn't have to have some like black project come along sure. to do it but, but it's still she's really cool and uh That'd be really great. If you're curious about Black Panther... I am. So they've already cast Black Panther. It's Chadwick Boseman. I don't really remember who that is. Yeah, he that is. he came uh, to prominence. He was the lead in the James Brown biopic. And apparently he was really great in it. Oh, right. Okay, cool. So that's how he sort of got on the radar. Yeah. Black Panther is the prince of the um, African nation Wakanda. He's called T'Challa. And you might recognize Wakanda as the place where vibranium comes from, which is Captain America's shield. Of course. For the nerds out there. <laughs> So it's all been, it's all pointing towards it. Anyway, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting for them to depart from their white man model. I hope uh, John Le- John Legend and Common come together to have like a really empowering Black Panther theme song. Just like at the end of Selma. Yeah. Yeah, that would be really great. One day when African Prince kills Julius Claw. Yeah. I wonder, I wonder if that would cause a few eyes to roll. Yeah. But this is good because there was um, a lot of criticism. Well, there's a lot of hoo-ha recently about... Black Widow being an anti-feminist movie and Joss Whedon's portrayed as feminist roots or whatever. Yeah, they made him quit Twitter. They made him quit Twitter. And a lot of sort of stock answer about why there hasn't been any female superhero movies or uh, black superheroes, with exception of Blade maybe, is like, it's always financial. It's just about uh, named brands. Oh God, yeah. It's like, you know, Iron Man's a proven property. People know who he is. So it's like a studio decision. But they didn't make a movie about a talking raccoon and a talking tree. So that they have no excuse. Yeah. The excuse is gone. Just because people haven't heard of Black Panther or Captain, yeah. Mar- Captain Marvel or other. But it's, what's kind of interesting is because they've done all the the A-team or whatever, the sort of lesser known characters, which are a bit more interesting just by virtue of just the race or gender. Or weirder, yeah. So, yeah, because I was a bit exhausted after Avengers 2. I was like, I don't really need to see a superhero movie for a good like eight months now. I'm like... It's kind of tapped out by it. I was like, oh, Black Super. Okay, that's new, you know? Also, uh, just like a superhero movie set in like an African nation about an like, African prince. Like, that's a totally different kind of setting. And, yeah, like, exactly. You know, it's cool. I'm on board for that. 
Me too. I don't really know what Captain Marvel's going to be like, but it's it's it, it kind of sad that just the fact that it's a woman makes it inherently like interesting. It's like, yeah, oh, yeah, exactly. a woman! Wow, <laughs> incredible! A what woman? will they think of next? Uh, but it's, a yeah. black woman? Unfortunately, Ooh. it does. Breaking news today. Someone has unearthed a film which was screened alongside Empire Strikes Back in the 80s in the UK. George Lucas decided that he wanted not just his own film to screen, but yeah. another film to screen alongside it. He turned to his art director, a man called Roger Christian. He gave him £25,000 and he said, go to Scotland and uh, make a film. <laughs> um, and uh, he made a 30-minute short film called Black Angel, which um, is a swords and sorcery tale of a knight traversing a plague-stricken land with many elements of dream imagery and mythical archetypes ro- woven throughout. That's wow. according to AV Club. Sounds absolutely nuts. Well, I watched a little bit of this on YouTube. I didn't see the whole thing because I was at work. You yeah. Know, probably shouldn't. But it looked basically like... Monty Python, the Holy Grail, except like not a comedy. <laughs> you know, a man w- wanders across the misty moors, and like the budget is really, really low, and he has to like fight some person like swathed in rags with a mace at the end. Do you reckon that's um because obviously George Lucas is the opinion on George Lucas has just been trashed in recent recent years. Everyone thinks he's like an insane man. Yeah, remember I mean, when he did something sort of cool? Yeah, yeah. Then Empire Strikes Back is full of the best stars, but like even then. He did make this man make a crap half an hour. So like wow. maybe it's yeah, like maybe it's it was incredible. There, the seeds of uh, insanity. Yeah, like he was already losing his grip on what a good film was. Maybe he was like, idea. I just had a lot of bad ideas. Kazdan says we can't use them in Strikes Back. <laughs> you take them. I've got to have them made. Maybe that's what happened. Yeah. You might know Roger Christian as the director of Battlefield Earth, by the way. The so, Scientology movie. In other words, he's a genius. I only I only know that movie through the hilarious YouTube clips of John Travolta. John Travolta. Like, and Rob I've Ford's been got me planted when I was five years old, or whatever that whatever line is. Yeah, I really want to see that movie just just because John Travolta is some alien with like huge dreadlocks. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. It's not Pulp Fiction, is it? <laughs> anyway, if you're curious to check that out, you can go on YouTube, type in Black Angel, see a little intro from Roger Christian. He seems like a nice man. Um, <laughs> Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. And watch the rest of the movie. Okay, so can uh, started. We're not there. I'm not really sure why. I think um, our invites must have been lost in the post or something. Yeah. I mean, why aren't we there? Why aren't we there? What? Why aren't we there? The quasette must seem empty without us. Yeah. I mean, they've had to settle for the Coen brothers. And said they could have had the film, film chat, chat brothers. Film chat brothers. <laughs> <laughs> Too right. So, as discussed previously on the podcast, Joe and Ethan Cohen are the presidents of the jury, and other jury members include Gamero del Toro, Sienna Miller, and Jay Gyllenhaal. It's a pretty cool lineup. There are some intriguing sounding films. Most intriguing is The Lobster, starring Colin Farrell and Rachel Weisz, which is set in a dystopian near future where lonely people are obliged to find a matching mate within a 45 day period in a hotel. If they fail, they're transformed into animals and sent off into the woods. I mean, that sounds like a great... I mean, that's a hell of a premise. Come on. That's, um... It's great, like, it's a classic ticking time bomb type premise, except you get turned to an animal. Yeah. I like Rachel Weisz. I like Colin Farrell. It's got a real, like, starry cast. It's got Ben Whishaw in it as well. 
There's been one uh, still released so far where Colin Farrell and Ben Whishaw are just sort of wearing suits and looking a bit boring. <laughs> I guess, you know, if they get turned into animals, that's probably going to jazz things up a little bit. But yeah, sounds intriguing. I like Rachel Weisz. Though I liked him more when she was married to Darren Aronofsky. Mm. I thought that was like a really cool couple. And then she divorced him and married Daniel Craig. I was like, <laughs> I really thought Aronofsky was sort of doing it for the nerdy looking super Jewish yeah. film nerds. And then she went off and married fucking Bond. We all thought you liked him for his directorial talent, Rachel. Turns out you just like people called Daniel. <laughs> but his name's Darren. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> well, well, that theory goes is by the wayside. <laughs> she likes D.A. names. Oh, guys. <laughs> of your D.A. name loving ways. Yeah. What else? What else? Is what else? Uh... Other exciting film is Love, the first film since 2009 from Gaspar Noé, whose last film, Enter the Void, was absolutely fucking nuts. There's I think he's scene... trying to top, top the nutsness this time. There's a scene where the camera goes into a woman's vagina and a giant CGI dick comes at the screen and like literally it comes in your face. <laughs> I think he's trying to make a point. <laughs> I think that's an image that he likes, judging by the teaser poster for Love. Have you, have you, have you seen this? I haven't. He's released a series of increasingly exciting... Um, teaser posters for his movie the most recent one is basically an image of a woman's chest you can sort of see a breast there's a nipple ooh, there ooh, hello. and she's like gripping an erect penis and then there's like semen dribbling down it onto her hand <laughs> and then it says like love glazing glazing the knuckles uh yes exactly <laughs> uh, yeah. you ever heard that phrase is like a sort of uh wanking euphemism no i haven't glazing uh. the knuckles <laughs> wow my Irish friend Corolla Mooty taught me that. I just thought that I was say, a moment of inspiration it. from you. No, if only. <laughs> yeah, I'm not really a big fan of Gaspar Noe. Well, I like not. Irre- Irreversible was good. End of the Void is like being stuck in the corner with like a really annoying hippie telling you uh, what uh, universe means, but it's just spouting absolute nonsense. Yeah. Just, like, just for about two and a half hours. I mean, it's like it's, it's really inventively shot. It's like all this one take and it floats in our rooms and it's, you know really virtuoso camera movements. But afterwards, I was like, okay, fucking get it, okay? You, you live, you die, uh, something. I don't, I don't know how confident we can be that this one will be like, <laughs> completely different in terms of its... Um... Yeah. Though Enter the Void has amazing opening credits. Yeah, it does have good opening credits. You should check them out on YouTube, listener. But this one also sounds like it's going for some philosophical bullshit. <laughs> According to the trade magazine Cine Europa, the film explores the many facets of love beyond good and evil, genetic needs, surpassing oneself, altered states of consciousness, hard drugs, mental illness, power games, blinding lights, releases of sperm, fluids, and tears. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, what the fuck is that about? I know it's going to be exciting to see it. It's going to be exciting. So, Big Game is uh, the new film starring Samuel Jackson. It is written and directed by the Finnish director Jalmari Headlander, who you might know from making this weird horror movie called Rare Exports a few years back. It's like a Christmas horror film. It's like a Christmas horror Santa's horror. Evil or something. Yeah, like feral Santas live in the wild. I haven't seen it, but I mean... Sounds cool. It's cool. I think he's got a, a gift for um, great premises, this guy. So the synopsis is uh, Air Force One is shot down by terrorists, leaving the President of the United States, played by Samuel L. Jackson, stranded in the wilderness of Finland. 
there is only one person around who can save him, a 13-year-old boy called Oscari, uh, played by newcomer Omni Domilla. He's in the forest on a hunting mission to prove his manhood to his kinsfolk, and uh, he's been planning to track down a deer with a bow and arrow, but instead discovers the most powerful man on the planet. With the terrorists closing in to capture their own big game prize, the unlikely duo must team up to escape the hunters as anxious Pentagon officials observe the action via satellite feed. It's up to Oscari and his new psychic to prove themselves and survive the most extraordinary 24 hours of their lives. Wow, what a good synopsis. Yeah, I copied and pasted it. Nice. So this movie is ridiculous. I knew about this film a few months ago. I was so on board with the premise. Absolutely ridiculous. The trailer was amazing. Yeah. Uh, Samuel Jackson's the president. I'm like, sign me up. He's been crashed in a forest. Sign me up again. You've got to be protected by a little kid with a bow and arrow. Sign me up a third time. Sign me up a third time. I'll be down for three Kick seats. Kick everyone out. Put me in free seats. I don't know. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. It's uh, it's high concept. It looks like silliness. Samuel Jackson is the man you go to when you want a um, movie to be, um, you know, you've got your silly premise and you want someone fun to carry you through it. Yeah. I, like, I like the idea of something with all the trappings of a ridiculous 80s Hollywood action film being set in a Finnish forest and starring a little <laughs> child. <laughs> it's, like, it's just like inherently it just uh, sounds like it'll be good fun. Yeah. So I, we were already half on board pretty much before going in. It's true. It's basically, it's all the ingredients that's sort of there. It's not quite as good as I hoped. It sort of uh, meanders a bit and uh, there's some sort of pacing problems, I think, in the first sort of half of the movie but like in the final act it really sort of stepped his game up a little bit and it's, it's almost like they didn't really have the money to deliver on the premise as much as they wanted to I, I felt yeah you could feel the uh, budget creaking once or twice I think the, the special effects were a little bit Doctor Who episode yeah there's like one bit in it where Samuel Jackson and the Finnish boy have been locked in a freezer and they're being flown through the forest like bashing into trees and rocks and stuff <laughs> and that's probably just quite an elaborate difficult sequence to shoot yeah. And I don't think it really, you know, looks as incredible on screen as the director probably imagined on paper. <laughs> yeah, it's like, um, I don't know. I, I quite enjoyed the sort of broad emotional strokes of it. There's like a sort of thing about how the kid is trying to live up to yeah. his father's expectations. It's a real kind of I went to screenwriting school kind of ticking off all the beats. Yeah, and, like, yeah. and the president is sort of is like weak and incompetent by, you know, unpopular in the polls. And together they bond. They, you're right. They both have to prove themselves. They have to prove themselves. And there's, um, there's this is kind of campfire scene where they're trading stories and it's not particularly good dialogue but it's uh very well delivered by samuel jackson and i was like i know exactly what the movie's doing to me but i'm like fine i'm on board yeah we're friends now yeah i mean samuel jackson is really likable the boy was good he had that kind of he had this really intense warrior face yeah i like the fact that he looked and acted like the sort of badass but he was actually kind of rubbish i like, couldn't really <laughs> use his bow and arrow very well it's very easy for children who you're supposed to root for and find cute to be irritating. They almost always are. Yeah. But maybe it was just because of his little Finnish accent but, um, and his, <laughs> you know, his frown. But I thought he was great. I love that kid. Yeah, I think the biggest flaw of this movie is it's, sort of, it's kind of missing a, a middle act. Mm. The sort of it felt fr- resolved quite rapidly, didn't it? Yeah, they sort of land in the forest and then the sort of third act climax got kicks in about 10 minutes later. But there's a lot of dialogue that suggests that there was maybe more cut out like yeah. Samuel Jackson's attachment to that kid doesn't really make sense in the sort of time span. It's like you've protected me. Like, have you? Yeah. Uh, also, they sort of half set up this idea that he's a coward, but he isn't really that much of a coward. Yeah, he's kind of. There's one bit in it where after the <laughs> campfire scene, they wake up the next morning. And the kid is like doing his deer call, which he's been taught by you know like previously in the movie by a tape. So he's like trying to call deer to hunt them, and he's kind of going. <laughs> 
or making this very human-like sound. And Samuel Jackson wakes up. He's like, oh, my God, what is that noise? <laughs> ah, what? Ah! And he's, like, terrified. And yeah. it's just, you know... He doesn't, he's much more scared of that noise than he is of like the terrorists <laughs> elsewhere in the film. It's a bit inconsistent. I sort of felt like it, they just called him in and he's such a star. It's just like, let him loose. Yeah, you know, go do, for it. Do whatever you want. Do whatever you want. Who cares? Yeah. It's a big truck of money. I don't know. It's exactly the film you think it's going to be. But I wish it, like there was opportunity for it to be a bit more inventive than it actually yeah. is. Um, I think can we we should also mention Jim Broadbent's bizarre role. <laughs> Jim Broadbent usually um, plays crazy haired, eccentric old Englishman kind of bumbling around. But and in this, he's he's the exact same thing, but he's uh, doing an American accent, and he's like the CIA's head of counterterrorism. Yeah, <laughs> but he's still dressed like a sort of old English professor. He's got this sort of like. A tatty sweater vest on and he's chewing a sandwich all the time yeah he does that thing where instead of acting he just does all like props every scene <laughs> yeah and he just his eyes are wide and he kind yeah, of brings the, his cheeks out bring and... the president home should kill the bastards where, where am i yeah that sort of thing he's he's also he's another charismatic actor who's just rocked up and is just reading his lines pretty much but it's good fun i'm glad yeah. he's in it you know because good... otherwise those pen those pentagon scenes would be incredibly boring i mean there's nothing going on. They just like look at the satellite and they're like, we can't get the president. Yeah, it's true that the, a lot of the scenes just feel very just trying to get to A to B yeah. as quickly as possible. And there's no real imagination has gone into them. Yeah, there's like six military officials all standing around just staring in horror. And that's about like half the movie. Yeah, it's like the same shot. <laughs> it's shot all in one day. But I would uh, recommend it. Maybe take a couple of beers in. As we did. I think that drinking beers throughout, that's like kicked it up a whole star. You kicked know? up a whole star. The fact that I had two beers while watching the movie. <laughs> it's got an absolutely hilarious death scene. Oh my God. <laughs> which is so funny. The death scene the, the, the death scene at the end, that pretty much, that makes the film. You know, <laughs> that, that really prevented the film being disappointment. There's a really, yeah. It, they set it up really nicely right from the beginning and then it pays off at the end and it's really good. Yeah, that bit's amazing. But then it like, it's kind of almost so good. It's like, I wish... That level of wit had been put into the rest of the movie. Yeah, it's almost yeah, like he yeah. saved it all for the end. Yeah, absolutely. But there was there's a slight sort of sequel baity ending, so maybe Big Game Two will improve upon it. Huge game, <laughs> massive game, humongous game. Yeah, can't that wait. Ludicrously big game. Okay, I'll go see it. Um, Which small European country will the president <laughs> visit next to fight terrorism? In? Okay, um, so yeah, go with a few of your lad friends, have a couple of brewskis, and uh, yeah. have a laugh. Have a laugh. It's only 90 minutes as well, which is another big plus. And now for Danny to review a film he recently saw. Was it staggeringly brilliant? Was it ask-quenchingly poor? How did Danny form a judgment? We're about to hear his thoughts. If he does a rubbish job, then Sam will tell him off. So The Tribe is a Ukrainian sign language movie. I know you're going to say, I'm not another Ukrainian sign language movie. So sick. Sick of them. But this one is good. Uh, prepare for me to mangle some pronunciations. So this is written and directed by Miroslav Slaboshkitsky, or a name which looks like that written down. Uh, and the synopsis is as follows. So somewhere in Ukraine, uh, Sergei, the main character, enters a specialized boarding school for the deaf. He is deaf himself. Uh, alone in this new and, unfam- and unfamiliar place, he must find his way through the school's hierarchy. Sergei quickly encounters the tribe a student gang dealing in crime and prostitution. After passing through the hazy rituals and being inducted into the group, he takes part in several robberies and begins to work his way up the chain of command and to become the pimp protector of two of the girls. And then things spiral on from there. Sounds sounds like a thriller. So 
but yeah. there's no there are no subtitles right? there are no subtitles it's told completely in sign language and it's ukrainian sign language so uh even even if, <laughs> even if you're deaf and you went to go see this you have to be ukrainian and yeah. familiar with sign language um so generally i think this is a good movie but i wasn't completely on board of it i saw it at the london film festival like a few months ago and it's it's quite a sort of brutal watch, quite tough. And then afterwards, it's like, is this movie good or is it just full of horrible stuff that is shocking me and I'm just sort of tricking me into thinking it's good and it's like this new approach. And basically, my sort of pithy review would be like, it's very interesting, the telling of the story, but the story itself isn't much cop. Oh, okay. But like, it's, what's interesting about it is like, obviously, a deaf person's perception of the world and someone who can hear is completely different. So it's inherently you're slightly distanced from the characters because how they see the world is completely different to how the audience sees it, presuming that the audience is hearing, right? Yeah. And also the fact there's no subtitles, like another step removed. And also the director's choice, uh, directing style is like long, wide shots, which is quite voyeuristic. So you're slightly deliberately removed from everything. Yeah, but at the yeah. same time, because there's no subtitles you have to sort of invest in the movie just to sort of figure out what's going on so it's kind of weird it's doing one thing and the opposite thing at the same time which yeah. is very hypnotic so that's sort of like what carries you through the movie it's always interesting to watch because it's just so kind of new but the actual story is a bit grim and almost gratuitously so it's sort of a series of horrible events and i'm not really sure how justified they are like afterwards it's like you know why that character do that and it's a bit like just because there's a definite thing where some arty movies are just like brutal 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 like the whole way through and that's what gives them that kind of artistic credibility yeah yeah is that and also like incredibly long takes it's sort of like quite a cheap way of tricking the audience to thinking stuff is important yeah it's yeah. like this scene is important because it's going on far too long the, so the steve mcqueen technique yeah exactly so but like what's kind of perhaps like interesting about it or um, maybe that's the wrong word. Like, what's kind of admirable about it is the fact that the sort of theme of deafness—it's not about being deaf necessarily. It's more like the fact that they're deaf means they're part of a slightly marginalised society, and this sort of tribe uh, structure is just them trying to assert themselves on the world slightly. Yeah, that's what it's about, and it's more—it's more like a sort of like a prison drama or something. It's like kind of scum or something about like. A young naive person. Well, your your description of it made it sound like a prophet a little bit. Yeah, which a prophet's kind of similar. That sort of thing about a young person in a very harsh world trying to get to the top of the I don't know pyramid of bad people. <laughs> <laughs> it's like an evil circus. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. One review I read sort of nailed the film when it's saying like it's uh it's confused being heavy with being deep. Right. Right. Yeah. So. It'll like carry you through. It's like the first twenty minutes. I was like, "This is brilliant," and then kind of didn't really go anywhere. And it kind of like uh, it was. I didn't know what the director was trying to do. You know, I didn't really feel like I was in safe hands. I was like, "What well, this character? Why does he do this?" And certain miserable things. It was going for this super realistic style with like all those you know miserable real people. But the actual plot developments are like slightly ridiculous. Yeah, just to sort of contrive more misery. Right, right, right. So I would cautiously recommend it it's like it's definitely worth seeing i was like i haven't wasted my time watching this but afterwards i was like you know i was thinking if this was just done with people just talking in dialogue would the movie be bad and i was like maybe but that's maybe that's a you know stupid you know because they're so intertwined how you tell a story and what the story is about you yeah know, you can't separate one from the other but i was like i wish there'd been a bit more to it yeah so meh, meh, 
Yeah. Got it. I'd like to hear a montage one time of all the noises that you make to sum up the film at the end of the review. Yeah. Sam's Opinions. Sam's Opinions. This oh, week as well, I saw Girlhood. That was also at London Film Festival. But I just saw it in Cineworld. <laughs> like the chump I am. Not seeing the arty setting. This is directed by Celine Siama. She's a French director. She's made a couple of uh, well-received movies before. This has also been quite widely acclaimed. Um, it's the story of a black teen girl growing up in a poor Parisian suburb. And she's caught between a violent older brother at home and disapproving teachers at school. And her life gets a boost when she falls in with three other close friends and becomes part of a kind of closely knit friendship group. And the movie is kind of about growing up as a girl and um, the friendship you have with other girls and that kind of thing. Right. And that idea is um, set out pretty clearly at the beginning. It's got a really great opening. There's a kind of pumping electronic pop soundtrack um, and it's really expansive. It's like the kind of thing that um, a band would play at the start of their gig to get everyone really like pumped up. Awesome. Um, and it opens with this montage of all these girls playing um, American football. And it's this kind of stylish depiction of teamwork and like fighting and yeah. them kind of bonding and like working together and battling you. and stuff. Themes. And so you're like, I'm getting it. This is, this is what the movie is. Brilliant. And I like the way it starts because it starts that way. It's this kind of appeal to the audience to like get on board. Yeah. You know? You, you have to love all these characters because listen to it. It's like this epic, it's a kind of epic music that would accompany the climax of another film, you know? Yeah, and yeah. It just starts like that and it's like... Uh, kind of throws know. a gauntlet down for the movie. Yeah, definitely, absolutely. And the film is, a, is, um, is really great and I think part of the reason that it is great is because it lives up to that, the, the impact of that opening. You know, if you start with something so that's so emotive before you have any time to invest in people, yeah. then you need to give them something to invest in later on and does that really effectively it follows this girl called mariam who's played by a newcomer um, called carriage Toure, who was discovered after a long casting process which was definitely worth doing because she's absolutely amazing she is i don't think she was either not an actress before or just like wasn't that well known before but she's amazing looking really like fascinating really expressive face really vulnerable and yet resilient at the same time and it's one of those films where the director is obviously really, really happy with finding her because there's shots of her just looking at things like all the time. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's not just a kind of troubled teen, gritty, social, realistic performance, but it's a, she has to show tremendous range. Like she goes through a lot of transformations and a lot of stuff happens to her. And it's a very actorly performance. So I wouldn't have been surprised if she had just been an established star already. Um, sure. But perhaps she will be now because it's really, really good. Yeah, the film kind of centers around the the four central girls and their friendship and like the main kind of um, moments of the movie tend to be moments of their friendship that kind of tie it together. And then the bits around that are the kind of challenges they face and um, how that bond like keeps them from, you know, like that's the sort of positive part of their lives that they yeah. have to deal with um, elsewhere. And the kind of centerpiece of the film is this scene where they all are in a hotel room uh, dancing and singing along to um, Diamonds by Rihanna. And uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, so it's a really epic scene. It's been like really choreographed and 
I think you sent me that Wesley Morris review of Kingsman where he was like, sometimes you can tell the director's favorite scene in a film. Yeah. And this feels a bit like that. But it is really great. I, re- I think you can find it on YouTube or find part of it on YouTube. And I recommend checking it out because it gives you a good sense of like what's appealing about the movie. Um, it's a bit like the scene in Skeleton Twins where Christian Wig and Bill Hader sing um, mouth along to that Starship song. And it's kind of scenes like that that are a little bit more stylized that make it not just a piece of social realism. And it's obvious that the director cares more about the themes of growing up and the character moments than about some kind of gritty depiction of what it's like growing up poor and black in the modern Paris suburb. Yeah. It's not a it's not a kind of piece of social commentary like deliberately. You know, that kind of thing is in the film but it's secondary. Sure. I kind of I kind of like that. I I like the way that it put the characters first and then the other things you can kind of make your own decisions about. Sure. They don't They don't always do great. They're not like heroes. They don't always do great stuff. And uh, part of its success is the fact that you stay on board with the girls even when they like do like more dubious things or they're like mean or you know, they're mean to each other. Yeah. And also the more sort of brutal moments where it brings home the problems that they have to deal with are not overdone. And it's interesting hearing you say about the tribe, how that was like really violent and grim and horrible to watch. And there's a lot of moments in this movie where it could go that way. And other movies do where they will just have, if there's a character who's been established as violent, you just know that later on they're going to like bash someone's head and you have to watch that for like five minutes. Yeah. And this film is quite restrained in that way. And it's good because you, you realize that you don't actually need that. It's like, I've seen violence in movies and I don't need to see another five-minute scene of yeah, someone kicking sure. the shit out of someone. It's also it's hard for films to sort of recover from those kind of scenes. It's yeah, like, they're what just am I supposed too, to do now? Exactly, they're just you too devastating. Yeah. So, although they have these characters who are obviously evil and violent, it's not a film which is like beating you over the head with how awful they were, as though like that is necessary in order to for the film to make its point. Yeah. So I thought that was quite good. So, yeah, I really enjoy it. I felt like it slightly started to drag in the final act. And there was a bit, it kind of cuts to black when time passes. Yeah. And there was a bit where I thought the movie had finished and I was like, that's a neat ending. And then there was a whole extra bit, (laughs) which is always a bit jarring. Yeah. Um, But on the whole, I, yeah, I I highly recommend it. I'm going to watch it. Highly, highly recommend it. Omelette, omelette, wish the outfit was my dad. So there's a bit of controversy this week because Mad Max Fury Road's coming out, which we'll review next week, and the men are up in arms about it. Almost everyone likes this film, except for men. Men. That and is to say men you know, who care about men's rights. Exactly. Apparently, the super macho franchise of Mad Max has just become some sort of feminist allegory thing. They're, they've allowed women to be in the film. Yeah. Women are talking. They have characters. It's disgusting. It's frankly. disgusting. I mean, have you seen how like uh, emasculated Tom Hardy is in the film? Oh, it's ridiculous. Anyway, He's constantly having to have conversations with women. It's just. I was obviously shocked by this, so I did a little research and I've tracked down this clip from the movie, which is quite damning about its feminist leanings. So you can really see why... You can really see why the men are up in arms. Yeah. Okay, hold on. Stop. Everyone just stop shooting. Okay, just stop driving those bloody cars for a second. Okay, I've got a few things to say, right? Okay, uh, Phil is... Uh, did you know back when we had civilization, like one in four women were the victim of domestic abuse? It's horrible. Right, okay. And also, uh, despite the Equal Pay Act being passed in 1970, in 2015, women uh, in full-time employment were still paid an average of 90% less than their male counterparts. 
and uh, 25% of the world population live with incredibly restrictive abortion laws. I mean, uh, you know, maybe if we, you know, spend more time furthering the empowerment of women instead of chasing after guzzling, you know, the world wouldn't have turned into this hellish, desolate, barren wasteland, you know? Or, you know, just something to think about, mates. Okay. Better to drive in. Better to drive in. Okay. Well, that's... That's blatant feminist propaganda. It's disgusting. I can't, I can't it's not called that. Mad Miriam, is it? <laughs> it's called Mad Max. Yeah, yeah, and that I mean that movie would probably be absolutely rubbish. That'd be shit. <laughs> Women can't drive. <laughs> well, well, I'll be boycotting that, but I will be reviewing it. <laughs> I'll be boycotting it, but I but I will still be going to see it and paying to see it. So I'm going to try to try to get um, those two contradictory notions <laughs> to work together. And we're off to we've been working on Emily Blunt's chicken noodle soup. Yeah. That's a weird way to say that. <laughs> <We've been> work- <laughs> anyway, so as you all know, we've been working on Emily Blunt's chicken noodle soup. <laughs> she said to us, uh, Danny and Sam, I, I need a chicken noodle soup and I need it by tomorrow. To clarify, I recently bought Stanley Tucci's cookbook. The Tucci Table. The Tucci Table. In it, he has a recipe from Emily Blunt for this chicken noodle soup. It looked absolutely delicious. It's stewing away right now, and we're going to go eat it. Yeah. A full review of the soup will be uh, available shortly afterwards. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. (laughs) (laughs) Goodbye, everyone. Goodbye.